0: Go with me to Haggai. This is, uh, this is a I mean, we, we're talking about the awakening and I'm, I'm really trusting. I'm not a conference guy. I don't like conferences. Um, but, but I do see the value in, in gathering people together. And, and I'm, I'm, let me tell you something. This is not it. What's happening down in, in, in Melbourne is not it. If that's what is it, then we need to run conferences every single week. Okay, What it is, 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 this, is a, this is a moment, and I love the name that they call it, Awakening, because what they're actually hungry for is to see the church awaken. You know, I don't think they're looking for revival, that meeting to be revival meetings. I, from, from what I've read and heard and seen in the videos they've been putting out about it, leading up to it, all they want to do is spark the church into stepping up and going, hang on a minute, we've been asleep, and we have been asleep, and we need to wake up. Um, I've noticed that, you know, it, I've always heard this. The church is in the best place she's ever been, you know. I mean, we. Always, I, I want to tell you with all honesty, she's not. She, she's not. How do you know? Because if she was, we would see something very different to what we're seeing at the moment. I look back at the Great Awakenings. I look back at the, the, um, the revivals. Uh, the Welsh Revival, the Great Awakenings that took place in America, um the the days that the, the, the times when Smith Wigglesworth was around ministering, um Charles Finney. Looking at at um, at at in, in the earlier years of um uh, what's his name? Uh Reinhard Bonkey into into Africa. Um, who's that other great evangelist that passed away recently? Um, Billy Graham. Media were we're writing articles about the radical impact that was happening in society at the time. That for me shows that right now the church is in a place of slumber. We are. We're not in a place where God wants us to be. And as long as we dress it up and try to, you know, try to pretend through our language to go, no, 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 it's good. It's all good. Everything's going well. Look at what's going on. I think we actually, we're actually conning ourselves. And this message is not so much for for community as a church however i always know that when that the one of the most dangerous things to do is to stand back as a church and look at all the others and go look what they're doing wrong i look at nehemiah and he stepped he wasn't even in israel at the time and he stepped back and on israel's behalf he said lord we have we we We've deserted you. We've stepped away from you. We've focused on the wrong things. We've worshipped foreign idols, and this is what's gone on. And he took responsibility. And I think we are as much a part of the Western Church as the, as the church that, uh, that's meeting up the road here. And so we've got to stand and go, okay, let's do an assessment like Nehemiah did. He walked on the wall and he walked around the city with God and he did an assessment. He wasn't going, oh, it's absolutely fantastic. Everything looks great. It looks beautiful. And and, and try to con himself or convince himself rather that everything was going well. What he did is he looked at it. He saw the city was in ruins and then he said, God, what do you want me to do? How are we going to rebuild this? And God gave him the reality of how to rebuild. That's, I think, where we as the church are at the moment. We've got to take an honest assessment and go, where are we at? This is where I think we're at. This is just Brad. I'm a nobody. I'm never going to have a platform um, to 30,000 people. But you know what? I don't care. Uh, I'm going to preach. And I I was thinking while I was preaching, I said, Lord, when I preach today, I'm not preaching to the people sitting in front of me only, but I'm actually preaching into the spiritual dimension over our city. I want to preach to the spiritual world. I want to preach to the hearts of the spirit of man, the church. Amen? Amen? Go with me to Hagar. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, who was the governor of Judah at that time. And it came to Joshua, the son of Jehazadak, the high priest. Now this is very interesting because if, if you look at the name Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel actually means this, the one who is sown or born in Babylon. Now Babylon is a symbol for the earth system. For the world. Babylon is throughout scripture is a symbol for the world. So the name Zerubbabel is the one who has been born or sown into the world. And he was the leader of the returning exiles of Jerusalem. So for me, this is the way I look at it. Zerubbabel, we are those, we as human beings are the ones who were sown or born into the world. And we are the ones as the church who are to lead people in a direction towards God. Lead them out of death into life and then move forward in the ways of the kingdom. It also came to Joshua, who was was the high priest at the time. Joshua means Yeshua. It is the same name for Jesus. It is The the Greek name is Jesus and the Jewish name is Joshua. It's the same name. So for me, I look at this as a prophetic picture and, and, and we know that Jesus is our high priest. So I look at this as as the prophet coming and speaking to us, the church, and to Jesus, to the high priest, to the one who's going to lead. And he says this, he's not addressing them, he's actually speaking to them and addressing what's going on with the people of Israel. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, these people say, he doesn't say you say, you Joshua and you um, uh, Zerubbabel, he's saying this is what these people are saying. They say this, that the time has not yet come to rebuild the, ha- the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Hagar, and he says this, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses, while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. That's quite an interesting thing. He's saying, I want you to stop. And I want you to think about where you're at. I want you to give thought to what's going on around you. That to me says this let's stop and let's take an, an accurate assessment. So I work in construction, and when things, when things, Change. You, I mean, you start digging into the ground. You want to put piles in, and then you want to start building out. And, and once you get into the ground, you, you, there's things in there that you, that you might not know existed. Even though they've done geotechnical reports, you, you get to a point where they've only done X amount of, of, of core holes and samples in the ground. And then suddenly, you start digging this massive big hole, and bang, you find something you shouldn't be finding. Maybe it's a lot of groundwater, or you, you hit um, a groundwater, and it starts to uh, uh, um, hydrostatic pressure pushes that water up. So you stop and you've got to take an assessment of what's actually going on, and then you've got to take an accurate assessment, and then you've got to find the solution. You've got to go, right, what can we do as engineers to change this, to to work around this, to stop this from happening, and, and allow this building to come out of the ground in the design that it was intended to be? Okay? And we have to do that throughout the build. This is what I think he's saying. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with a hole in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountain, bring down timber, and build my house, so that our may take pleasure in it and be honored. This is what the Lord says. Then he goes, You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, you see, I love how God says, I'm not doing it. He goes, this is a decision that you've made. This is the consequence of your decisions. You know, we always think that God, God waits there, we step out of line, and then he wants to sort us out. That's not the God we serve. The de- God gives us two decisions. He says, you can live in my kingdom, and this is what the government of system looks like. This is what my justice system looks like. It's wholeness, it's healing, it's fullness, it's satisfaction, it's life, ultimately. Or, you can choose not to live there, but this is what the other system looks like. Now, the choice is yours. You either live in the kingdom, or you live out of the kingdom. Out of the kingdom, there is, there is this, there is cursed land, it's dry ground, there are thorns and thistles, there are wolves that will want to take you down, you know, there is sickness and disease, there's things that are going to ta- attack you from every side, there's lack of protection from me, but if you're in my kingdom, and then suddenly we make a decision to live this way, and then we go, well, God, why is God doing that to me, or God's doing, you know what I mean, he's going, no, no, you chose, the consequence of your action is to step outside of my kingdom and give your your, um, your worship, your praise to something else. And so that's what is naturally, um, that is a natural consequence of not being in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Yeah, if you have questions, just pop your hand up and, I'm, and, I'll, and I'll try and clarify it further for you, okay? I want you to listen carefully. It's not all bad. It's not all bad. What we want to do is we want to align ourselves. We want to awaken, don't we? Yeah. yeah okay. yes. Can I challenge what you just said, Brad? You can. It, it, it might be clarified further on, but you may, you're welcome to do so. Yeah, well, I can in two things. Number one, we're always looking at the spiritual sense. I've got a, my boss is a multimillionaire, and he's the, most, he's the most unhappy, saddest person I've ever met in my life. I also want to say to you that me and my wife, we're financially doing just fine. I've got a home that I've paid for. I don't have, a, I don't have to pay it off. Um, we've both got jobs. I don't know if any of you don't have jobs, but we've got a job. Um, I'm better off than most of my friends in South Africa. Um, we've got the lowest unemployment rate, in the world, we're happy. I've got good clothing that I, that I can purchase and buy. So I understand what you're saying, but you've got to listen from a spiritual perspective rather than a natural perspective. the The reality is is that, and let me challenge you on this one. Maybe, maybe the reason why we're living like that is because we've been building, trying to build our own homes rather than build God's home. And if we started to change the way we built, well, maybe the wealth will shift, as Scripture says, back into the hands of us who know how to manage it properly, who know how to use it for the right purposes. Just saying. See, we've got to look at it from a spiritual perspective. I mean, when, we, when we're living, whether in plenty or want, the joy of the Lord is always in our hearts. When I see Christians that are not living with joy, uh, a lot of the times it's because they're looking with the natural eyes and going, this is naturally what I'm lacking. Well, you know, it doesn't matter whether, you, whether, you, whether you're in poverty or whether you're in, in, in wealth. Uh, the, the joy of the Lord will always be in you if you're living spiritually healthy. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not, this is not about physical stuff. This is more from, you've got to, you've got to listen with, with, with your spiritual ears more so than with the natural. Okay. What you brought home I blew away, why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else on the ground it produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Hagar. That's a great response. They obeyed the Lord. They obeyed the, the word of the Lord that came through the prophet Hagar. Because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Now that's not, a, a, I'm afraid of you, but the beginning, the, the, uh, the beginning of fear, sorry, the beginning of wisdom is fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not to be terrified, but that fear is an, as a reverent awe and respect for God. So probably a good thing to have. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, listen to this, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, he—it st- was the governor of Judah, and he stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. So the Lord then stirred them up. See that? They came and began to work on the house of the Lord their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. Now I want to just stop there for a second. When I read that this week, Suddenly something shifted and changed. Now, and when I've seen something similar to that in another scripture, and I want to take you to that scripture, that that is Revelation 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Now, before we go there, I want to read something because people get a bit scared of this book, Revelation. It's almost a taboo one. We don't know what to do with it, so we just put it aside. I want to say, just quickly read from, you don't have to go there, but I want to read from chapter one, verse one of the same, of Revelation. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's pretty good. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who, Who reads aloud the words of this prophecy? Wow. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Isn't that interesting? Go to verse twelve of that same one quickly. He says, "Then I turned. That's why John has this vision. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man who was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters." in his right hand he held seven stars from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full length so he's now seeing Jesus in his glorified form when I saw him I fell at his feet as though I was dead but he laid his right hand on me saying fear not I am the first the last and I'm the living one I died and behold I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades now I want you to look at verse 19 it says write therefore the things that you have seen those That are, are those that are are currently happening, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Okay? And the lampstands are, are the seven churches. So... What he's saying is, I want you to write down, for all to see, blessed are those who hear what's about to be written, I want you to write down what, you, what is the things that are currently taking place and the things that are yet to come. So the book of Revelation, for me, is not so much uh, a future timeline only, but it's actually what was currently taking place as well as things that are to come. So what happened is John actually went into a spiritual dimension where time was no longer linear, but he was actually seeing everything around time. At one, at one po- point, he's, he's seeing uh, events that are taking place now now, then all of a sudden he's back and he's seeing the dragon fall and take with him one third of the stars. That means that he, in, in, in the spiritual realm, saw the fall of Satan. Well, how can he see the fall of Satan as a future event if the fall of Satan was a past event in time? Then he sees the Son of Man being crucified... The Lamb of God being crucified on the throne from a heavenly perspective and he sees what's going on in the spiritual realm. The same John who was the only disciple remaining at the cross seeing the same event in the natural realm. So John who stood with Mary and and Jesus' mother was standing and looking at the cross of Jesus and he saw the son in the physical get, get crucified. Years later, John is now in a spiritual dimension and he sees the same event, but from a different perspective. And in that perspective, he sees what was happening where the glory of God was actually at work rather than a man dead on 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 a cross. And they all freaked out and ran away, afraid of the fact that now this apparent Messiah is dead. And then he sees what happens when this Messiah actually did die in the spiritual realm. And what happened when he died is these scrolls now start getting opened. So, so this is what's going on. So this, this is not a timeline that we can look at our clocks and go, right, this is what's going to happen, then this is what's going to happen, then this is what's going to happen. What we've got to look at is go, right, there's a spiritual dimension here. We are operating in a spiritual world. Some of these things have taken place, and we're seeing them. Other things are still to take place, and we will see them. <clears throat> that makes sense? The church of Laodicea. So when I read that that scripture out of Haggai, I started looking at this. I went, and to the angel, from verse 14 of of chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, I want you to write this. These are the words of the amen. The faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He says this, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now just stop there for a second. (coughs) I've heard it said quite a few times that Jesus is saying, I'd, I'd rather you be hot for me or cold, rather just be a cold person. So Jesus then is saying, he's either saying I I, I want you to be positively hot for me or I want you to be negatively cold but I don't want you to be in between. Well, to be quite frank, an in-between person is better than a cold person because at least if you're lukewarm, you're not cold. So so that doesn't make sense to me. When you look at Laodicea, The area of Laodicea had two water sources coming into it. One of them was a spring, a warm spring, that had minerals, like, like full of, of natural minerals. Like if you go to New Zealand, you've got those hot springs, and people go and bob around to them, and it's actually supposed to be good for your body, right? Your body absorbs... The minerals. So what they would do is that city was quite known for using those warm waters, those hot springs, for natural healing. They would take people that were physically sick or, you know, that, that, that take them and put them into these warm waters. And what it would do is they'd soak their bodies in these warm pools and it would, and it would absorb the minerals and bring about healing to muscles and other body aches and pains. The other thing was, is there, was an, there was an aqueduct that brought in fresh, cool drinking water. And that fresh, cool drinking water would come in and it would be a life source of drinking water. So he's actually saying here, you are neither hot, you are neither like these hot springs that are, that are good for healing and, 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 and well-being, nor are you like this cold spring. What you are is you are actually a mixture of the two. And if the two waters were mixed, you had this real salty water that was hot, mixed with this fresh, cool water. And when you drink it, it's actually putrid. It's not, it's, you can't drink it. You're not supposed to drink the hot water. The cold water wasn't going to heal your body. He was saying you're neither useful for this nor useful for that. What you are is you're actually lukewarm. And the word there that we've translated into the English, which is I'm about to spit you out, the the interpreters were being incredibly kind. The word there is I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. It's a you know, if you if you drink something that's not right or you eat something that's not right, your body has a natural reaction to it that regurgitates and gets it out because it doesn't want that that dodgy foreign object inside of you. That's the same terminology that's being used here. I you're lukewarm and because of that I'm actually going to regurgitate you. Now I look at this and I go, wow, this is some this is the the gracious one, the the all-loving one, the, the one who you know pulls us close to his chest and he's speaking to us, his church, like this. Now, the key about Laodicea uh, was a commercial city. It was a, it was a, it was a city that was, that was dubbed by the Romans as the free city. It was a, it was a, it was a Greek city that was eventually overtaken by, by Rome. It was on a trade path. It, was, it, was, it, it, be, it became a city that commercially flourished. It was also, listen to this one, known in the Greek Roman Greco world, it was known as the seat of Christianity. It was where Christianity had its most authority and where from there, they held a strong point into the, into, uh, the, 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 the in, effect, in effect from then, the Western world. You had Jerusalem, the Eastern world, and then you had the Western world, which was anything of the Greek towards Rome. Okay, It was known as the seat of Christianity. When I read that, I went, oh my gosh, that is the Western world. We, as the West, have always been the ones who claim to be the seat of Christianity. That's obviously changing, as we've noted that Christianity is being moved to the to the um, the margins of society. But for many, many years, with us, with our Christian views, we took with us democracy. And if you look at the West, the biggest thing the West wants to do is to is to get nations to to walk and and to live in thriving democracy. Part of that being that we, we take with us is is and you know, I use this term loosely Christian values. However, Jesus is now writing to the city and to this church in the city, which is in a a thriving environment. The Western world is the thriving environment in the world. Uh, We are the ones that, you know, uh, obviously the charge being led by countries like America and and Canada and the UK and Australia has really stepped up there. But the Western world is, is, is is what he's writing to. He's writing to the church in the West. And he's going you're actually n- not even hot nor cold, but you're actually lukewarm. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. Now listen to this. Let's go back to Hagar and just see where the terminology um, fits together. I am rich. I have prospered. And I need nothing. Not realizing that you are, that's quite a harsh word here, you are wretched, pitiful, pit, pitiable. you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. What were we just saying? Hey, Most of the the unsaved people are living with all this wealth and well-being. But we, the church, we're the ones that are living poor. And we're the ones that are living pitiful. We're the ones that are living blind. Well, this address is quite simple. He's going, you think that you are rich. You think that you are are doing well. You think that you have it all. However, look at you. You're actually pitiful. You're wretched. You're poor. You never have enough. You're blind. You're naked. This is not Brad's words I'm just reading out of the Bible, Okay. So if you have any issues, you need to take it before God. Then he says this, I counsel you to bar from me gold that is refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And bar from me self to anoint your eyes, so that you may see and not be blind." Those now, listen to what he says. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Now he's speaking to me. He's going, I love you, and this is why I'm reproving and disciplining you in this. I'm, I'm calling you out, church, Western church. I'm calling you out on the areas where you are living in lack. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. That's a that's a that's a wonderful response. That when God brings correction to you as an individual, then this is not an individual message. I'm not preaching to you as an individual. I'm preaching to us as a community, to the church of the Western world of which we are part of. He, the, the best response we can have to God bringing a discipline or a reproof to us is to do this. To be zealous for him. And repent of the things that we've been walking in that are bringing lack and destruction in our lives. And repentance is not groveling, asking for forgiveness. Repentance is to change your mind. It's an arresting of your, of your mind. It's to go, oh, hang on a minute. Wow, I am actually naked. Whoa, we've been putting, we've, we've thought that we're doing well. Look around you with all these, yeah, we, we've got all our fancy paneled homes. A lot of the church is looking to build their brand, their model. Everything's about our brand, our model, our next campus getting our facility up to scratch, that people can come and they can feel comfortable. And all that stuff is good. I'm not saying that's negative. But what I'm saying is when that becomes what we focus on building, that's our paneled home. And the true church, the the house of God is actually not built. Because the house of God is actually individual people, living free, walking towards God, zealous for Him, disciples of Jesus being raised up, people that are prepared to sow their lives for for the good of the kingdom. People are living unselfishly, towards one another preferring others ahead of themselves marriages restored husbands and wives walking side by side kids living to honor their mums and dads and living in a healthy environment finances being sown into building things like, like you know shelters for the poor Feeding the homeless and the, and, the, and the addicted in the streets that don't have places like set free care do. You know? Giving finances into, into, into eastern nations that are less fortunate than we are. Rather than putting our funding and in, in our, in our resources and our time and our energy and our focus into building the brand of western Christianity. We start building the house of the Lord out of the rubble. I saw this amazing set of pictures that got sent to me and I was chatting to Ben about it. I said, it's quite interesting, mate, we, there, there was these pictures that came through on Facebook recently where it was in honor of the World War II, and that happened, this Remembrance Day that took place last weekend, and they had a, a photo of this beautiful beachside place in, um, in, in Europe, I think it was in France, on the beaches there, and there was this dad with his wife, and, and his husband and wife, and their kids, and they were eating ice creams, there were people on the beach, and there were these beautiful painted buildings on the side, and then halfway through the photo, they've actually photoshopped what this place looked like in World War II. And there was this plane that had crashed and the buildings were all ru- in rubble. And so they had this, this split of, these, of this picture. The first, you know, the, the, the right side of the picture was what it was like today. And on the other side was what it was like back then. And it was in remembrance of going, remember, what you're living for now and the pleasures you're living in was because people gave their life for it back then. But I saw it and I went, wow, that's a picture of what I think we the Western church look like. To us, we see ourselves as the right-hand side of that picture. But in the spiritual, when you look at it, I think we're standing like Nehemiah and we're seeing the rubble. And we're going, this city lies in ruins. It's, it's, it's in ruins. However, however, it's one thing to point out and go, yes, we recognize. And you need people to do that. You need to be able to be man enough and a woman enough or courageous enough to stand up and say, hey, church, do you know what? We're not doing well. The Western church is not doing well. We actually, we're actually living in our own paneled homes. We're putting our finances and our resources into the wrong things. But however, God's got a plan for us. He's got something he wants us to build. And if we start to build with him and what he wants us to build, out of that rubble, you will see the true church, the city of God, arise. That's what Nehemiah did. He saw the city of God in ruins, and then God gave him a plan. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put people side by side next to each other. Some of them are going to carry a sword in their hand and a trowel in the other. Others are going to be providing food and support, but they're going to stand every tribe side by side in unity. That's a picture of unity. And we're going to build the wall and build this city. And the enemy came to try and bring a confusion and manipulation and fear. But because they were standing in unity side by side under the clear vision of we are building this city come hell or high water, the enemy could not penetrate them. He could not get into their heads. I think we the church are in a season. We are poised on a season. And I want to use the terminology that's happening at this thing for an awakening, for us to actually wake up and go, whoa, hang on a second. What's actually going on here? Well, what we've been building is just our paneled homes. We're not seeing the fruit of the kingdom. Look around you, friends. We do not see the fruit of the kingdom at the, at the measure that we should be. I mean, let's not be blinded by it. I don't know if any of you are thinking, yes, oh, we, we're, we're doing, fa- the, the Western church is fantastic. I look around, I'm going, there's nothing happening. We've had smatterings of things. And I, and I look back and we yearn for the revivals that we saw, like in, in Wales, where bars started closing down. They had to retrain their donkeys because the donkeys were so used to being commanded by swear, by swear words that they had to retrain them because these people were cleaning their tongues up. Alcohol abuse became nothing. People were being born again every single day. Healings were taking place in the physical bodies of people. Things were happening. Demons were coming out. I've read about these revivals and I'm going, in, the, in today's society, where is that? If we are to go from glory to glory to glory, the Western church has done something wrong. We keep picking something up, and then we keep dropping it back down, because I think we stick our fingers in and go, right, we want to build our brand around what God did. Most revivals started with God, and they ended because man decided to yeah, franchise it. I, this is my belief. This is what God's, I thought God said to me for quite some time. The next revival, the great revival that we're going to see is not going to be inside of a church building and, it's, and no one is going to be able to put their brand on it. You're going to have a guy saying, Gu- guess what? We've got a revival starting in our church and we're an ACC church. You're going to, Gu- Guess what? We're a Presbyterian church and we're also seeing the same things happening over there. And then a the little church called community going to go, Gu- guess what? We're not related to any of those denominations. However, we're also seeing exactly the same thing happening. And no man is going to be able to say, listen, this started with me and my church. Because God's not going to allow that. I don't think he's going to allow that to happen. I think he wants it to be him and him alone. So let's have a look. Those whom I love are reprove and discipline, so be zealous, repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Which is quite a sad, that's quite sad. The fact that he's standing at the door knocking, he should be inside the house already. However, he says, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, and I will eat with him. Now, biblical understanding of eating: when someone comes into your home to eat, what they're saying is, "I I approve of who you are." And eating, and and to come into someone's home was a big deal in Jewish culture. To have a man, a man of honor, come into your home and sit down was was a huge honor to you. To have that person come into your home. But also, the kingdom is about feasting. So whenever you see something to do with eating and feasting, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a picture of the coming kingdom. Does that make sense? That's why all the, all the feasts of Israel were feasts. Because they were all declarations of what God had done and the coming kingdom of God. It was a, it was a, some of them were a, a celebration of what God had done through his kingdom breaking out. And the rest were a celebration of what was to come, a prophetic sign of what was going to happen. I will come in, I will eat with him, and he, will, and he with me. Now listen to this. This is exciting. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He, ha- he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, we read that and we go... To he who overcomes, I'll let him sit with me on my throne. We look at that as one day when you die, if you've done well, you will sit with him on his throne. I want to suggest to you that that's not what he's saying. I want you to suggest that he's saying, if you respond to this and go, oh, hang on a second. Let's take a look. Yes, Lord, we see this. We understand your discipline. your will of this. We are going to become zealous for you. We're going to repent of living in that way. We're going to focus on building you. We're going to open the door wide into our churches and we're going to allow you to come in. What God's saying, what Jesus is saying here, he's going, if you do that, you will sit with me. I will grant you the opportunity to sit with me on my throne right now. Now, what happens when we sit on the throne with Jesus? We rule. His governmental system he's going what he's saying is if i will grant you the opportunity to sit with me and govern into the planet into your sphere of influence which i've given you on this earth you will govern into that realm you will bring my justice system into that realm you will transform and change society in that realm as my kingdom comes it's not a future thing one day when you die you're going to sit on the throne with jesus it's all done when we went one day when jesus returns it's all wrapped up at the moment, he's on the throne, he's going, I want you to govern with me, into your sphere, into your realm, as my ambassadors. Do you see what I'm saying? My encouragement, my, my exhortation more so than an encouragement, is this. Friends, we are the Zerubbabel, working alongside the high priest. To go, hang on a second, let's stop living in our paneled homes and let's put our energy towards building the house of God. Because when we build the house of God, then He's going to come. And I want to just end this quickly with the same text that I had in Haggai, just reading the second part of it. It says this In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai Speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shilatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the high priest and the remnant of the people, asked them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of this land, declares the Lord, and work. I love that. It's quite a, it's quite, that's a command. That's not a suggestion, by the way. Be strong and work. Work at what? Work at building the, the Lord's house. Work at building his temple. Work at building his church. And work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I have covenanted with you when I brought you out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you, so do not fear. These are, this is encouraging words. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth I will shake the sea and the dry land and I will shake all the nations and what is desired by all the nations will come listen to this and what is desired by all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory says the Lord Almighty the silver is mine and the gold is mine declares the Lord Almighty the glory of this present house will be far greater than the glory of that former house. We always quote that scripture. I love how we always quote that scripture, but we never actually read what's before it, which is the prelude to it. Build the Lord's house. Stop building the panelled homes. Stop putting the resources into the wrong house. Bring the resources into the right house. Things will start to change. If you're having issues, it will change. I'm not going to say it's not going to be a struggle because I've gone through some moments where it's been a struggle and I've been through moments when it's been a hard point. I lived in South Africa where where we lived down here. Then I lived in Dubai where we lived up here. Then I lived in Australia where we went back down here again. Now I'm living in Australia and I'm up here again. But guess what? From that moment there to that moment there to coming back down to that moment there to where we currently are now, there was one thing that was constant and that was the joy of the Lord never ever left me the whole time. Whether I was physically wealthy, sorry, it's physically poor or physically wealthy, it meant nothing to me. I'm just we just go through those seasons. But the joy of the Lord, I said to Naomi the other day. I said, when we when we sit down, I look at my bank account. I went, I said the one time, I said we we've got like 150 bucks left in my bank account at one point. I was sitting at that. And I said, to in me, the natural stuff, something just went. Oh my gosh! It's, There's no money. And I remember just sitting there, God said, what do you mean there's no money in your account? He goes, let's talk talk about this for a moment. And he went, firstly, you have $150. He says there are more than half of the world's population who have absolutely zero money in their bank account. In actual fact, there are people that don't even have a bank account. And I went, okay. And he goes, and guess what? Next week on payday, he said it's Monday today, son. On Thursday, you will receive your paycheck, which will far surpass 80% of the people in, this pop- in, in, in the world what they will ever earn in, in 10 years of their life. And I went, yep, okay, it's time to change my perspective. That's called repentance. Oh, hang on a second. And I said to names, I said to her, we live in one of the most beautiful countries in the world, one of the most safest countries. We're in the top five countries to live in this world. We have a government system that if you don't have a job, guess what? They'll put you onto, onto job seekers. They'll put money, finances, into your bank account to help you get along while you go and find work and they will help you to find the work. And if you fall sick, there is free medical that you can go to the hospitals and Medicare will pay for you because the government has put things in place to help you. Guess what, friends? Are we living in poverty or not in the natural? No. You wanna see poverty? Come, I'll take you to India. Come, I'll take you to some countries in Africa where I visited and then we'll have a conversation after that. Because at the end of the day, whether you've got a million dollars in your bank or whether you've got $50 in your bank, you're probably better off than most people in this world. And if you don't have a job, the government's gonna give you something. Man, my government in South Africa give you zero. And if you can't pay your light bill, guess what happens? they turn it off. And you go, can I pay that off over a period of time? No, you can't. Well, I owe you $2,500. Well, you better pay it in one bank transaction or guess what? Your electricity ain't coming back on again. In, in this country, they will never be able to do that to us. Why am I saying that? Change your perspective. Because oftentimes, we're seeing ourselves from down here. We should be seeing ourselves from up here. And when we see ourselves from down here, We start to try and build our own paneled homes because we're trying to get our homes in order and build and build. But when we see ourselves from up here, then we're building the Lord's house. When you see yourself in poverty, guess what you want to do? You want to try and build. I want to build my home so that I can feel safe and secure and and looked after and then I can start putting my time towards God's house. That's exactly what he was saying. These people were going, we're sewing but we're not getting anything back. we got clothes on but it just doesn't seem to be keeping us warm. We're earning money, but it's just going out of our purses. The the crops aren't producing. There's no oil in the vats. So what we've got to do is we've got to build our paneled homes. Build our paneled homes. And he's going, whoa, you're looking at it wrong. You've got to step out of that environment, and you've got to say, I'm going to build the Lord's house. And God says, and don't be afraid to let go of this, because that's hard to do. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't want to let go of that, because if I let go of it, I'm going to be even worse off. Well, that's where faith comes in. Actually, I'm going to let go of that. I'm going to step over here. I'm going to build what you want me to build. And then all of a sudden, you can shake your pocket, and the money doesn't fall out the hole down the bottom because it's been sewn up. And all of a sudden, you start seeing some money coming in. I'll just share a testimony. For those who, don't, don't put your hand up, but I know people do struggle with finances. It's not a, it's not a negative thing, right? It's, it happens. We do get worried. God doesn't want us to worry. I, um, I remember the one time, I'll, t- I'll share two testimonies. The first one is quite funny. I was given some money. I had no job when I first got back to South Africa from England, and I got saved you know, a couple of weeks after moving back. And the church that I went into, they were, it, was a th- it was a growing church. It was a new church. It was, it was something happening. And they had this thing called a financial freedom fast. So I was like, well, go. Okay. They spoke about Fasting. They said, right, what we're going to do is we know South Africa is not a, it's not a wealthy country. So, and, and the area that I come from, it wasn't particularly wealthy. So a lot of people didn't have a lot of money. But we said, we're going to break this thing of poverty. Now, Brad, in my, you know, I'm not thinking as a mature Christian. So, so I'm going, oh, financial freedom. Okay, this is fantastic. So what we're going to do is fast for a week. You're going to ask God to, to tell you who to sow money into. And you're just going to sow that money into that person. Without asking, you're going to just go, if God said, hey, I want you to write down, I want you to put $200 into an into a, um, envelope, and I want you to sew it into Mel. It had to be done uh, anonymously. So all I'd do is I'd write Mel Kennedy and put it into this big bag, and then on the last day when we, when we praised and worshipped um, and, we, and we ended the fast, then they'd go out and, and people would go around and say, here you go, Mel, that was, that was in there for you. Some people got, some people didn't. It was all about hearing God and stepping out in faith, right? So here's Brad, No money. My mum and dad go away. I'm I'm I've, I'm living in the caravan in their house until I can get a job in my own my own place, and I'm looking after my sister. And she gives me 50 rand, which is five dollars, to buy bread and milk for the week while they're gone. Okay, so I hear about this situation. I've got the fifty the five dollars in my pocket, and we're sitting there. and And what's going on? It's it's hilarious. What's going on is. People are putting their money in to this boss, to this boss's bag, and, and then people are getting money out. And I've got a friend of mine who, who sold a hundred rand, and he ended up getting five thousand rand. So it's like selling ten dollars and getting five hundred dollars. That's what he got. And he's got, and he's he's got, I can't believe this, and he's celebrating what God did. So I jump on the bandwagon, and I, put, I get an envelope, and I put the fifty bucks in. I, I find the person that I know is the least... Uh, wealthy, write their name on it, and I pop it in that basket. Lord, <laughs> I'm telling you, this is me. Lord, bless me financially. I need finances. You know, God, I need, I need, I've given my life like, you know, two, three months ago, and I'm, I'm, I'm keen. Mate, this envelope comes back to me, and someone says, Brad, there's an envelope in there for you. Yes, Lord. I get excited. He gives me the envelope. I open it up with haste. I pull it out. It was 50 rand. It was $5. And I heard God, made as clear as I'm talking today, I heard him say, he goes, that money was not yours to sow go and buy bread and milk, and that's all I got, okay? that's all I got out of that, and I was just, I mean, listen, I didn't even have two pennies to rub together, I, I had nothing, okay, so, so, so then what happens is I move into, I get a job, and I move into a granny flat, and it was a small job, I was getting paid five dollars a day to work with a friend of mine, restocking shelves and shops, anyway, I end up getting this granny flat with myself and Farah, and we, um, We've got no money. I've got, I've got, a, I've got I think it was 1,200 rand and my rent was 1,800 rand. I've got 1,200 rand, it's two days before, two days before, before rent's got a, rent is due, right? And another guy in the church is gonna be going on a missions trip to Tanzania and I, I've actually got the money on me, okay? Because I was getting paid cash. I had the money on me. For some, I don't know why, but anyway, I'm in this meeting and, I, and God says to me, give the money to Andrew and Nicola to go to Tanzania. And this is my response to God. Father, if I, if I give him this 1,200 Rand, I can't pay my rent. And this is exactly what God said to me. He goes, son, you can't even pay it anyway because you need to pay 1,800. <laughs> That's what he said. And I just went, okay. So he goes, give it to them. So I went to Pharaoh. This house is, you hear God, you go check with the, you know, with the, 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 the boss. Hey. I felt God say, I must give that money. And she goes, well, then give it. I was like, are you serious? She goes, I said, we don't have any money left. That's all I have. And she goes, well, if he says give it, then you've got to trust God. Okay, I go back there. Okay, afterwards, I go up to Andrew. I said, bro, listen here. Tanzania, uh, we've been praying for you. I really feel God said, I need to give you this. I gave him that money. He just breaks down crying. Just breaks. I said, uh, 1,200 bucks. Breaks down crying. He goes, mate, I needed uh, 1,200 dollars to pay for my flight. He says we were trusting God to go we didn't know how we were going to go they were leaving two days after this so literally the day that my rent was was due so I give it to him and he's I can see the joy of the Lord in him. now I go home and I'm like I have I'd have nothing <laughs> nothing by the time that rental day came I remember getting a phone call from Pharaoh who got home before me and she says you'll never believe it I, I opened the front door of our house and she said there was an envelope that had been kicked under or pushed under the door and in that envelope was double the rent that we needed to pay double Double. Where did it come from? <laughs> Let me tell you. I don't know. There was no little card, hey Brad, be blessed, you know, so and so. It was just an envelope with cash. I'm telling you from that day onwards, I never ever went in lack. Never went in lack. Because I committed, and I, I know I've I wavered my time, and, I've, and in, my, in the natural of in my, in my stupidity, I've you know, done the whole I don't want to build. But in my heart, I've always said to God, "You know, I know, Lord, I, I need to be about your business. I need to be about your business. And God's provided for me every single step of the way. So be encouraged by that, church. As individuals, as well as a community, we as a house don't have influence right now on all the other houses around the Gold Coast. What we can do is we can say, God, we want to be those who open the door and allow you to come in. We want to be those who, who stop focusing here and focus more towards there. And we're going to ask you to increase our sphere of influence into the city whether it means partnering with another local church who then we can help and assist, or whether it's just you know, being who we are in the city so that God will, would move in and amongst us and through us to touch individual people. It doesn't really matter. We're not in competition with anyone around us. We're not looking to have the biggest church, the best building. The, you know, we're not looking to even be the ones who started Revival on the Gold Coast. All we want to do is be a part of what God's doing. Whatever that looks like for us, I want to be a part of what you're doing, God. If we do that, I can guarantee you right now, That the people that God wants wants to be in this house, they will come. You will either be meeting them in the streets, the workplaces, or they'll suddenly somehow walk through that door and not realize why they're here, but they'll be here. And we will be satisfied, yet we will still be hungry for more. But we will be doing exactly what He wants us to be. I don't think God wants us to be a church of 10,000. I think He just wants us to be His people here, whether we're 50 or 500 or anything in between. That's what we've got to be doing is be about God's business. And I guarantee you right now, God will, he's looking for people like us to go, we there, use us. Come and use me as an individual, but use us as a house, Lord God. And we'll, folk, we'll, we'll, we'll give our full attention to you. Amen. Can I pray over us? Yeah. Father, I, we stand, we do stand with, with all those churches, at not only the, those that are at the awakening, uh, representing multiple churches around the country, but we stand with every church in the city, in every church in this country. We know that we, and we, we, we know, Lord, where there's been a, a, a focus on the wrong things at times. And as best we can in our human abilities, we try to build towards you, but it's sometimes we get caught up in, in other things. We know, Father, that you are very gracious with us in that. However, we do want to say that we recognize where these areas are, and we, exactly what you said, we 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 repent, but we, become, we want to become zealous for your home. We want to be a people that are known for our zeal. That people go, that community is zealous for God. They're uncompromising in their zeal towards Him. They're uncompromising in their, in their pursuit for truth. They're uncompromising in their pure, um, abandoned praise for, their far, for, for, for our God. Lord, it doesn't matter what it is, may we be known to be a people that are just zealous for you in every area of our lives. As we build towards your home, Lord, I, I know because I've seen it, but I pray it, I pray it again that we would begin to see the wine filling the vats, the oil in the barrels. We would see the crops producing. For people today, if, if you, I'm not going to open my eyes and it doesn't really matter, but for those of you who are struggling in, in the natural, you, 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 you know, you, you go, Geez, actually, I don't have a job and I need one. Just Receive it. Just say, Lord, I pray that jobs will be given to people. That if somebody needs more finances, that they would be able to receive more finances. For those who are in debt, Lord, that, that finances would come. And if you, if you are in debt because of foolish decisions, that God would bring wisdom to you and he would provide you with finances so that you can pay off that debt. It's, there's, there's, let me just say this. There's, there's a lesson to be learned when God doesn't just come if you've got yourself, and I'm not saying that's you, sorry, I'm, I, I don't want to say, I'm not saying to you, but I know because I myself have got into foolish debt. There's something, there's, there's something in it when you, God gives you, provides for you a job or whatever it may be, a bit of finances, and you've actually got to take a portion of that and you've got to go and diligently pay off that thing that you've erroneously got yourself into and when you pay it off he's provided for you to pay for it and once you pay it off you go that is an incredible lesson i'm not going down that road again i'm not going to trade on the floors of babylon again trading on the floors of babylon just gets you in trouble i'm going to i'm going to trade on the in, in the courtrooms of heaven now i've had to pay off debt diligently <laughs> literally diligently with sweat and, and and blood pay debt off but i'll tell you what i never want to do that again and god provided but he didn't just come and say, here you go, Brad, You has a million dollar check, you know what I mean, from someone who just blessed me and I was able to walk in and pay for it. It wasn't like that. It was diligently learning, don't do that again. Father, bring wisdom to people and provision for them to be able to do that. And if God so chooses to just pour out an abundance of finances that you can just wipe it clean, then that is God's will and his prerogative to do. Father, I just pray that we as a community would step into more purpose, bless every single person that needs a job, Bless every single person, Lord, that needs finances. Bless every person that needs a home. Bless every person here that needs food. Lord, I pray you bless every marriage here. I pray you bless every marriage. I pray that husband and wives would stand side by side with one another. That they would be unwavering in their support for each other. Lord, I pray that marriages would be completely strengthened. I just really feel to pray that today. Lord, marriages to be strengthened. In Jesus' name. Amen.